If you've got a little yarn, ring Macca on Australia's radio show. If the creek's been rising or the weather's coming up, or you found a little nugget or your horse has won the cup, put the billy on. Ring Macca. Australia's waiting for you. Oh, I'm waiting for you. Good morning and welcome. It's lovely to see your faces and hear your voices. Uh, we've got a lot of things to do, kids. We've got to knuckle down and get stuck in. Our number, you can start it. Start the ball rolling. 8333 is the number. 02 is the code. 1300 700 2 Love to talk to you. It's great to see you. Want a hand, mate? Ring Macca. Someone will give it a go. In the wet, great. We love it. People say don't come up here in the wet because we think it's the best time because when it's cooler, because there's a lot more cloud, everything's green, whereas in the, most of the dry period it's fairly brown and, and some, a lot of the bushes burnt off. The bloke I met in Fitzroy Crossing said to me, he said, uh, he said, oh, we go on tour in summer, Mac. And I said, why? He said, no tourists. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's the other thing, yeah. yeah. We rely on them for income, but they take up all the good seats down at the restaurants and that sort of thing, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> exactly, John. You've took taken the words out of everybody's mouth here. And they usually got more money, more money than us. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's a no-win situation, yeah. isn't it? Right. Ain't it the truth? We're all tourists, are we? One time or another. Eight triple three ten twenty is the number. O two is the code. Or thirteen hundred seven hundred triple two. Love to talk to you. Oh, I had a lovely time on the road. It's fantastic. The One Tree Plain, unbelievable. Driving across there, and I watched this crop duster coming in, not far from Pevensey, I think it was, near Amani Road, and there's trees and stuff that I, I wish I knew what they were. Um, you know, the lady rang me one morning, she said, Mag, a farmer should have to put up a sign outside each of their paddock to tell you what it is. But ladies and gentlemen, the the yellow and green, the yellow and green and the fat cattle... And the fat sheep. Unbelievable. It is unbelievable out there. We had a lovely time. Went past Tubbo Station and I feel like just driving in and saying g'day. And all the trucks that are on the road. I saw this this truck with only had three little dogs in it and had old wood in it. Not new cut hardwood, but it was old hardwood. Looked like a been sawed up with a I don't know if it was going to be firewood or whatever, but it was just interesting. Lovely old, beautiful old trees. And very old, very old. But look, our number's 1300 700 wherever you are. Sue Ellen says, uh, we've just completed the trip of a lifetime. Travelled around Australia in our motorhome over the years and now this adventure saw us flying to Heathrow eight weeks ago. We've now been all over the UK, including Wales, Scotland and Ireland. We ventured over to Paris for a, dry, <laughs> a day. We have now completed a cruise around Norway and Iceland. I've been everywhere. We have enjoyed our time away, but missing home and can't wait to get back to the best place on earth. It's great to widen your horizons and it makes you appreciate more what our beautiful country has to offer. And how fantastic. Can we listen to you, Macca, while we're away? It wouldn't have been possible 10 years ago. No, I probably wouldn't, Sue Ellen, although it used to be on Radio Australia, which you could get from time to time on shortwave. And sometimes we'd get, but yeah, I know what you mean. Give us a ring, 1300 700 I found these little, look, and I've got some oranges outside Mildura. There was this little stall and stopped the last bag of oranges. And you just can't, I just can't get oranges like this. They were just, oh, there was one bag left. One bag left. And so went inside to the house and said, oh, is there any more bags? They said, oh, that's not our stall. It's just outside our house. And I had a little, <laughs> a little loyalty box, which was nailed down and bolted. But... <laughs> 
but we put the money in and, oh, lovely oranges. Oh, I had a lovely time. Going to places like Balranald and Mildura and Renmark and stopping in little towns and hay. Come and meet the blokes I met in hay. I'm standing on a tennis court in hay. Lovely selection of tennis courts. We're talking to Bede. Schiller. Bede Schiller and Tony. Calligan. Calligan and... Craig Anderson. Craig and Tony and Bede. Tennis is uh, big here in hay still, Tony? It is, yes. We've still got a, a good uh, membership, yes. And mm. uh, we've got our coats uh, behind our, our shoulders here, pretty busy every day. And uh, after the school holidays, we'll start night tennis competitions. Because the basis of Australian tennis when we hit the top was country tennis, wasn't it? There was tennis courts everywhere when they were playing. And yes. a lot of our great tennis players came from the bush, didn't they? Yes, well, Bede and Craig probably had courts in their backyards on their farms. And what about you, Tony? I'm originally from Sydney, settled in Hay. How come? Oh, I was two years in the National Service and found the country life better than the city life. We were just talking about National Service. It's uh, 50 years, isn't it, since, uh, what was it, 67 to 75 or something? That's right, I was in 68 to 70, Mm. yes. And how did you find your time? Oh, it was good. I enjoyed it, yes. It was different. You didn't go to Vietnam, or did you? No, I did the training for Vietnam, but... uh, I was playing a tennis social one weekend and uh, did me knee, and uh, they wouldn't take me for that trip. <laughs> I was right the next month, but uh, my my number had gone. But what's your story? Uh, my life story was sent away to boarding school because we lived in a remote area, no bitumen roads, no school buses. So I did 12 years of boarding school, six at Bathurst, six at Joey's in Sydney, and then uh, proceeded to successfully go through three years Wagga Ag College, and then came back on the family farm. And tennis has always been part of your life? Oh, not really. I took it up when I was about 32 and uh, the game is still developing. <laughs> your game is still developing. Yeah. <laughs> and Craig, what about you? You're a long-time resident? Yeah, I was born here in 53. Mm. Uh, went to boarding school for nine years. <laughs> we had a sand court at Ravensworth. and played tennis uh, regularly on the sand and uh, played tennis in Melbourne boarding school. Lived and raised the family here in Hay retired and spent my time trying to keep up with Bede and Tony on the tennis court. I see. We all need a challenge, don't we? Oh, yes, and uh, <laughs> often it's the orange versus green, if, if you know what I mean, yeah. on the tennis court here, which is very challenging. Well, the, the Catholics versus the Protestants. <laughs> oh, no, I didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> Mackie, you may have noticed that I'm wearing the orange jumper being a good Catholic. This is, uh, this is despite this... Uh, Protestant opposition. <laughs> so what sort of a town's Hay? Hay is a, a wonderful town, mm. 3,000 odd people, a very close community, a lot of volunteering and it's a delightful place to live. Uh, we don't have traffic lights, so less traffic lights you have, the less... Well, stick around, it'll happen. Well, I hope not. I'll have to move to Oxley. Billy <laughs> <laughs> <Really> good. <laughs> Tony, just tell me quickly, you do some work with people who are struggling a bit? Well, not so much these days. I mm. was doing a lot of that, but I still I do a little bit, yes. Mm. Yes, it's good to give them a game of tennis or just go around the town with them and that sort of thing and, uh, you know, help them out. And, mm. uh, That's what happens in a country town, isn't it? It yeah. does, yes, and it's quite enjoyable, yeah. It's very, and you can see that, uh, whereas you might miss that in a, in a big city. Yes, that's true, yes. It's very... Uh, very casual life here. and uh, How's your tennis? Oh, struggling. <laughs> you know, with knee operations and hip problems, etc. You know, as we all get older. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, nice to talk to you, Thanks. Tony and Bede. Good on you. Yeah, thank you, Macca. Yeah. Thanks, Macca. And Chris, good on you. Nice to talk N- to you. Nice to meet you, Macca. Yeah. Pleasure. Keep up that show, eh? Yeah. It's, okay, it's wonderful.
Hi. Oh, g'day, Malcolm. Rod, g'day. Rod, um, yeah, look, I'm, I heard you talking about these delicious oranges in uh, uh, Renmark in particular. Mm. And uh, I was there a couple of weeks ago. Um, mm. And yes, they are delicious. Like one of the reasons they're better there is because, you know, the commercial people take them and use them before they give them to us in the in the retailers. But the reason I rang is um, all the peel that they produce after they squeeze the juice, they chuck it away. Mm-hmm. And um, we, uh, we've we just started a project to collect it all and make pectin. Pectin, I'm sure you know, gets used for jams and stuff. Yep. Uh, all those years ago when I was a young bloke, I used to run the Cotty's uh, operations and uh, we make, we bought all of our, our pectin for the Cotty's jam label. Um, today it's all imported from China. So everywhere we go, people are saying, oh, yeah, just start the industry, start the industry. So we're just, um, we've got investors and we've got the technology. And so I thought you might be interested to know we're trying to and do the right thing, Aussie, Aussie, Aussie. We're starting another Australian industry or an old one that, that went. Um, we'll use uh, all those beautiful oranges or the orange peels anyway. So who squeezes, where do you find the uh, squeezed oranges? Who, who does our juice here? Yeah, um, there's some really big ones. There's a, the Asahi, Asahi Beverages, you know, the beer company. Mm-hmm. They, they uh, bought a lot of other uh, non, non-alcoholic uh, businesses and they've got um, something like 4,000 tonne of the stuff and um, they just chuck it away. So uh, we're going to acquire that um, and they make the juice and we, we get their, what they call waste. It's gold to us, of course. Yeah, is there a lot of use at pectin, demand for pectin? There must be if we're importing it. Yeah. Oh, no, there is. There's, well, it's all the little jam makers make it. I was using, obviously, jams. It's a natural thickening agent. It's very non-allergenic, all those good things. But um, there's a massive global market. Um, it's used in uh, thickening yogurts and stuff, um, different grades of pectin. And it's even used in, uh, as a carrier in pharmaceutical because it's a, you know, a, an inert, if you like, uh, uh, powder. That's how we'll provide it. But, and there's a huge amount. Uh, used in the US and they import theirs too. Wow. <laughs> China again and, and Brazil, yeah. So we thought, you know, we, we, we're, we're doing this recycle. We, uh, going into farmers and take yeah. the stuff they can't sell and we're recycling that for other stuff. But the pectin, it's, it's sort of exciting because we're going to recreate an industry that should be in Australia and was, and because we're all very smart outsourcing, so then, you know, cheap manufacturing, yeah. all the way to China. So, yeah, we, we feel a bit patriotic. Is there much of a process to transform orange peel into pectin powder? Yeah, there is. Yeah, when I was at Cottage, they were a guy, a mad scientist, lovely fella, not with us anymore, sadly, but he um, produced a, a, a machine or processing plant that um, produces bioethanol and it produced all sorts of things, including pectin. And he, he, um, as he before he passed on, he, he gave me all the, the, the plant and the processing. So it's not it's not that um, hard. But having a leg up with this gentleman that uh, that helped me. Of course, we're um, we're in the box seat. Um, oh. Yeah, so we're we're pretty excited. Oh, I'm excited too. Rod, where are you calling from? I'm currently in Castle Cove, but uh, we're going to set up a plant there. And there's also a huge orange in Sydney. Uh, orange up in uh, forget where it is near Gosford and. They've agreed to give us some stuff as well. So, oh, uh, but go. we'll also be able to make um, organic pectin, um, which is a growing uh, demand for. Them. 
you know, I'm not sure that it's that much different, but but there's certainly a demand, and we make that out of grapes. And stuff they squeeze the juice out of grapes and they chuck away the rest, which is the uh, skins and seeds, and uh, we can make it out of that too. Rod, it's a great call. Nice to talk to you, mate. Um, keep good up the good you. work and keep in touch. I will do. Thanks, Maka. Thank you. Cole's in Moranbar. Moranbar. Good morning, Cole. Yeah, good morning, Maka. How are you, mate? I'm good, thank you. Mate, I was um, listening to you a minute ago and you were talking about the Hay Plain and um, it brought back a little memory of mine back from 2010. I was travelling from Ballina to Adelaide and yeah. um, for a show over there and I got to Hay and um, they were telling me about the Hay Plain and everything. I thought, oh, this will be an experience. And anyway, I stopped at Hay and, and so did every bloody fly in Australia, I think. So <laughs> at middle of summer <laughs> and... Um, I was hungry, and so I pulled into a shop, and I'm a bit, you know, uh, I have a penchant for battered fish, so they said, oh, we got the large, do you want a large piece? So I said, yes, please. So they, they bought out this fish, piece of battered fish, and cooked it, and it was, you could have fed 10 men with it. It was that big. <laughs> Sounds like Murray Cod or something, was it? Or I think it was, mate. Anyway, it was, it was huge, and I thought, geez, how am I going to get through this? Not only eat it myself, but I had all the company of the flies all over it as well. So I pulled into the hay, I think it's called the Shearer's Hall of Fame or something that's there. Yeah, yeah. And um, I, I went inside and I asked the lady if I could come inside to eat me fish. She said, well, she goes, why? I said, because of the damn flies. So, <laughs> so, so she let me in and sit inside there. I was the only person there. But... But like you were saying, you know, driving across that hay plain, it was just, you know, it was summer and crops and just, it was just a magnificent sight to behold, you know. It was just beautiful. It is amazing, isn't it? All that all that country and, as I said, and as the bloke said in the train, the countryside out there is turning the colour of money and it is, there's canola as far as you can see and wheat as far as you can see and it looks fine. Absolutely. Now. And it's just, and but look, I didn't. There was a few flies in uh, <laughs> Bell Ranald and one or two in Hay, but I don't know. They must have. They must have gone. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, the day I was there, mate, I reckon every fly in Australia decided to visit Hay at the same time. I, I just uh, they drove me insane. <laughs> it's well, just unreal. <laughs> yeah, well, that was the, that's the whole thing about Australia. But I haven't noticed. Maybe it's all. Uh, remember, we were talking last week about insects and how the fact that. Uh, there's not as many insects around. Maybe, yeah. Uh, maybe it's all the sprays and the fl- flies are gone too. <laughs> but I often tell people about that trip across there. I said, you know, I ask them if, if you ever get a chance, go across the Hay Plain because it's just, it, it, it's to me, it's, it's better than the Nullarbor. You know, it's just un- unbelievable. Oh yeah, and there's yeah, there's more to see. There's more to see. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And, and, and not only the crops, there was. Uh, there were uh, emus, you know, there's flocks of emus running beside the road and just yeah. birds, and it was just amazing. It was a, uh, it's just one trip I always remember and, 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 and still do to this day. It was a great, it was just a great drive. Cole, what are you up to this morning? I'm about to start work, mate. I work underground in a coal mine, so... Um, in Morumbah? Just out of Morumbah, yeah. Right. What's the name of the mine? Uh, Broad Meadows. Broad Meadows, there you go. All right. Good yeah. on you, Cole. Great to talk to you, mate. Um, you too, mate. Next time I'm going, I'll give you a ring and see if you want to come with me. We'll go across the Hay Plain. Awesome. I'd look for, we'll stop and have some fish. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear, oh, dear. Good on you, mate. Right, I see you, mate. See you, mate. Bye.
This is the antique machinery. The antique machinery. This is like the program. Is it getting off the road? I think it is, Kel. No one was a man of few words, wasn't he? But they built a boat. Kenworth boat. It's at that truck show. Colton Morinbar. Just about to go up to work. Works underground. Okay, it's about to start, Kel. G'day, this is Macca. Hi, this is Rex here from Maruya Macca. How you going? Good, thanks, Rex. I just uh, reminiscing here, mate. I jack a root down at Hay at a property called Mungadel. Right. Reno stuff, block number 15, right? just outside of Hay. Uh, when I was a kid, and I was just listening to you too, talking to the Hay, about the Hay Plains this morning, you used to think it was really boring when you, when I was a kid, when driving through there. But when you got that work out there, Macca, it's unreal. You get out there and mustering them sheep we had 30,000 sheep down there and uh we had a, a musterer called nifty nev from the nine mile who had 32 dogs and named every one of them after someone he knew <laughs> <laughs> and he knew everyone did he yeah he did mate and it was it was a good time in the yard mate it was julie and jack and jimmy and <laughs> go back jimmy yeah oh too much fantastic but no, them hay plains, mate, there's something else, I tell you. It's fantastic country. And the thing about it is, um, I remember a lady said, Maka, why don't farmers put up a sign on the various paddocks to tell us what they're growing there? I went past <laughs> this. There's a big orchard there, and you could drive. I was driving, like, uh, for five minutes, still yep. going past this orchard, and I don't know what, what trees would they grow out that way. Um, um, they were, yeah, it was an orchard. I don't, I'm just trying to look because I make notes when I go on a on the road. I make notes because otherwise you forget about things, and and it's always interesting. And and then people can ring you up and tell you. Um, see, I saw a crop duster not far from a place called Pevensey. He's just coming yes, in. Pevensey. You know, <laughs> you obviously know that. Um, and. Yeah, I can't. Where were the trees? Just, well, Go. things have all changed. Agriculture. When I was there, Macca, the furthest cotton they grew was wee wool mm. south. Now you get down there, it's all the way down the river. It's uh, it was amazing. I worked for a pretty switched-on mob called the Twine and Partial Company. Yeah, and uh, and they pushed a lot of that, uh, a lot of the cotton south. Uh, with the different varieties and things like that now. But when you drive through there now, it's all sort of different from when you used to drive through there years ago. You know. And the sheep went bad and you couldn't find a sheep and it was all cattle and they were all Herefords and now they're all blacks and, you know, it all changes. I'll say it does. And and that's the beauty of Australian agriculture. People are inventive and they're very creative, like Australian manufacturers. Oh, they're, 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 very, they're very good and they they size up what needs to be done or what they've got to change from and uh, away they go. Oh, most adaptable people you're probably ever going to meet. But, yeah. uh, it's been fantastic talking to you, mate. I've always wanted to. <laughs> Rexy, uh, uh, no, no um, hankering to get out jackarooing again, mate. <laughs> Not at sixty-five. I'd love to. I've still got horses, mate, but uh, that's my only link now, mate. I still, I brood Australian ponies, actually. But 
that's my only link to to the bush now, mate. I uh, get up every morning and go and say hello to the girls, and it's all good. <laughs> what What's an Australian pony? Well, they were bred uh, originally from the pit ponies and that that they bought over for the coal mines, and they crossed them up with a few Welsh ponies and a, a few Brumbies and all that, and they standardised them about in the 1930s, and they're not they be 12 two to 13 two, and uh, and a nice little horse, mate. Beautiful. You can put them in a cart. You can put a kid on them. There you and, go. Uh, and they're great company. <laughs> <laughs> like you, Rex. Good on you, mate. Good on you, mate. Good to talk to you. Yeah, you too. You have a good day. Bye. Yeah, some of those trees, I, I can't remember where they were. I've written it down here, but I've got pages and pages. Um, see, for instance, what do they grow at AGT just outside Wagga? It was under netting, and I wouldn't know, but I just, well, see, you love to know. I went past Tubbo Station. Um, I went past Burrabogi. There were flies on the hay plane. Who was talking about flies? That was um, um, Colin Morinbar. He was on the hay plane. He said all he can remember is, is flies. G'day, this is Macca. Oh, g'day, Macca. It's uh, Xavier Duff here from Melbourne, currently in Slovakia, um, uh, supporting the uh, Australian fly fishing team. <laughs> of course, they need support. Xavier, <laughs> tell us all about it. So yeah, well, a friend of the family is um, one of the uh, one of the me- members of the uh, fly fishing team. Uh, they've got a team of five here, um, competing against twenty eight countries. There's about one hundred and forty anglers involved, and uh, we're on currently on the the last day. Uh, well, in our time tomorrow, but your your time uh, later on in the day. So yeah, so it'll be the last day, finishing up tomorrow tomorrow night, Sunday night. And Xavier, how how will we go? Well, I would think that uh, fly fisher fisher persons um, are big in Europe. That's what they do all the time, oh, yeah. over there, don't they? They're big in Europe, and, and the French and the uh, the Czechs are very hard to beat, and they're they're currently leading at the moment. Um, France is in the first position, uh, Czech Republic in the second, and uh, yeah, so we, we're going quite well, though. Australia's in the seventh position, which is very, very good, really, considering, as you say, the Europeans are amazing, um, amazing fly fishers. And, of course, they're, 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 we're in their waters as, as, as at the moment, so it's very difficult to... <laughs> it's, like, to yeah, uh, it's like when the shearers go overseas and they in a shearing competition and they've got to shear, for instance, Scottish sheep. Which are which are another thing altogether, apparently. <laughs> well, that, well, that's right. Well, well, the interesting thing is that apparently here in the rivers, that um, they're they're, they're mainly gr- what they call grayling. So, because normally our, our anglers are always uh, fishing for trout, you know, rainbows and, and browns mostly. So it's a completely different fish. So I, I, um, very difficult um, fish to 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 judge because they're just not used to them in Australia. So um, yeah, it's quite a, quite a challenge really. Um, so they're doing very well. Yeah, very well, I think. And you are you a fisherman, uh, Xavier? Uh, I'm only a dabbler, uh, Macca. <laughs> I just, I just, I dabble. <laughs> it's one. Of, I think I've taken it up too late in life because it's one of those things you need to start when you're about 15. Because the you, when you watch these guys, they're just. I mean, the skill is incredible, and it takes like years and years really to um, to get that casting ability, you know, right, and 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 being able to read the water. You know, that's. Uh, that's the biggest thing, um, and learning how the fish behave so that you can work out where they are in the, in the stream to actually go for them. Yeah, but uh, no, just a, just a dabbler. Yeah, I spoke last week, and I just played a little grab of it at 7 o'clock of uh, my friend Pip Hudson, who's involved in working dogs, you know, sheep dogs and putting, you know, three yep. sheep and a handler and a dog, and they put the pee. <laughs> and he says his mate came down from Darwin, 
last year and he said, you people look like you're all having fun, you know, in, in this competition. You're competing and competing. And I'm thinking about the fly fishing. And he said, what do you put that down to? And he said, because there's no money in the game. That's why. Um, and I, I suspect, is that the same as the fly fishing uh, competition? Is Or is there oh, a lot absolutely. of money in it? No, absolutely right. There's no money whatsoever. The, all this, all the team is, is self-funded, Macca. They've all, they've all forked out their own money to come over. Like I said, um, yeah. Yeah, that's right. But they do it. They just do it for the love of it, really. Um, yeah, they, look, they're, they're, they're mad. They're obsessive. <laughs> they, they absolutely love it. Um, uh, Tom Jarman, the captain, is actually he's actually he actually does um, he does actually make a living out of out of fly fishing. He's a professional guide. Um, but even when he's not working, he's out fishing. That's how much he loves it. So, yeah, you can't stop him. <laughs> yeah, well, look, good luck, uh, Xavier. You probably know the football results, don't you? Uh, because any Melbourneian, of course, wherever they are, in Antarctica or on the North Pole, will be tuned in to find out the results of oh, the football. That's right. These days, you, can, you, you used to have to wait till you got back home to find out what happened at the grand final, but you can, you can actually watch the game as it happens now. And sometimes that would be preferable, actually. <laughs> I think so, yeah. That's right. particularly, if you're, particularly if you're a Melbourne supporter. Yeah, yeah. or if you, your team loses, but yeah, all right. That, um, that's it, that's it. Xavier, uh, yeah, good luck. When does that finish and when will we know the results? Uh, so they, yeah, fi- finish tomorrow, uh, tomorrow evening and we'll mm. have a result well, by, by 6 o'clock, out, um, you know, Slovakia time. So I'll, uh, I'll 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 send you a message and let you know how we got on. What's the what's time? So what did you say? Slovakia. Time, what is that the name? Oh, so we so Slovakia is the is the country. Yeah. And um, um, so it's sort of between uh, um, Slovenia and yeah. and uh, um, Czech Republic. You're right. So yeah, it's it's sort of and, and on the border of Ukraine, I my that too, because you're not too far from the border of Ukraine, which is a bit of a, a bit of a worry. Bit of a worry, but, exactly. Uh, yeah, so we're we're eight eight hours behind you guys. Yes. Yeah, so and what behind. what's the name of the city you're in, or or is it? Well, a... the place we're in is actually it's in it's in the it's in the country in the high what they call the High Tatras Mountains. Yeah. So it's about um, oh, it's about a three hundred kilometers from Bratislava, which is the capital. So yes, it's quite a, it's uh it's quite a big quite a big country and very very uh very very thickly forested and it's quite amazing. It's a beautiful place. Yeah. Xavier, yeah. we, we hope to be coming down to Melbourne in a month's time, say at the end of October, to do our program live in the in the street or somewhere. Um, we don't know where yet, yeah. but um, come along and uh, bring your rod and just show yeah. us how you show us how you cast up up the street. How we do it? Yeah, no good. worries. We'll try. I'll try and bring professionals to show you properly. <laughs> all right, we won't have any water. It'll just be uh, yeah. All right, uh, that's all right. <laughs> great no to worries, talk. Macca. Great to talk to you, mate. Thanks a lot. See bye. you. Bye. Um, after listening to the program this morning, says Paul Woodfield, I just wanted to let you know, Ian, about one of the biggest private collections of insects in Australia. Part of the collection is in a little WA town called Boyup Brook, and the balance is in the Perth Museum. It was collected by a local, Keith Carnaby. The Carnaby Collection, as it's called, is said to be the most important in the world, second only to the British National History Museum. Located in the local tourist information centre, it was truly something to see, and sadly, a lot are now extinct, as John Womersley was saying. And when people write me, say, oh, look, we've got these stick insects, it's the exception that proves the rule, and you don't know. But 
thousands of gallons of pesticide all over the place. And I love little insects. I mean, as long as they're not in your pants or something, you know, uh, they're just they're a thing of beauty. I saw one the other day and it was a little red thing and it had little horny bits on it. And I thought, aren't you beautiful? But anyway, uh, 1300 700 222. G'day, this is Macca. G'day, Macca. It's Trevor. How are you? Good, thanks, Trevor. Macca, all of the answers to your questions about the hay plains. All right. I owned the backpackers in Hilston, outback New South Wales. Yeah. And I also own the primary school at Piangle in Piangle, which is next to Tulibuck, where you travelled. Yes, exactly. And the trees that you're talking about could have been, if you were coming from Bell Rennell to uh, Tulibuck, well, then they would have been pistachio nuts. Pistachio, there you go. Then as you've gone through the little township of Piangle and across to uh, Adelaide, well, then you would have seen almond farms. There you go. Yeah, Kel, almond farms and see, pistachios. Wow. And if you see the flat top um, trees, they look like they've been cut off flat. Yeah. Well, then they're all stone fruit. Wow. Right, oh. peaches and nectarines. And yeah. then um, your oranges. I used to pack 10 little oranges in a bag in Hilton and send them off to Coles and Woolies. But you've, they've been transported and in cool rooms and all those sort of things. Uh, and the oranges you got off the side of the road were picked fresh off the tree and and uh, beautiful fruit. Uh, uh, the Hay Plains is the flattest place on earth. Yeah. And as you uh, would have come out of hay, well, then the gentleman before was talking about all the cotton. You would have seen where the crop dusters were flying over. Yeah. And um, then when the floods and all the rest were on, well, then the hay plains were like a flat sea. It was just magnificent to see so much water out there. And then when in the dry season, well, then you see all the kangaroos and the emus running around the place. Yes. Look, it's, it's just a fantastic place to be. Trevor, I just love because I hadn't been out there for ages, but I remember the last time I was there, um, a long time ago, it must have been 15 or 20 years ago, we crossed the Hay Plain, and there was water by the side of the road. My mate, Michael O'Sullivan, <laughs> got out of the car. We stopped the car, cause by the, and, he, and there was water. So he starts wading through. He's just a bit of an outback. You know, he thought he was a bit of a crocodile Dundee, and he starts wading, and he had a spear, and he says, there's there's bloody carp in there. So he's, he's wading through, looking for carp, and another bloke, a couple of blokes pulled up, and I think they were with, you know, um, might have been council or whatever road, main roads. And so, what do you? He's oh, I said he's looking for carp. He says, yeah, he might find one. He says, uh, we saw a couple of King Browns in there the other day, uh, <laughs> and Michael, Michael came screaming out <laughs> like a like a rocket. But it's really, it's just you're in the middle of everything, and it's all growing. And as the train driver said to me, the countryside out here is turning the colour of money. And it's all that canola and wheat and the and the fat cattle and the fat yeah sheep. It's just it's lovely. And I think wonder what that is. There you go: pistachios, almonds, stone fruit, and of course, lovely oranges. Yeah, and the um, the trucks you were passing, the green trucks, were all the Collins trucks, which deliver all the potatoes and um, tomatoes and all the rest from South Australia across to Adelaide. Yeah, and then bring back the the fruit and veggie from that side of uh, Sydney side of the world back into Adelaide. Yeah, when we so go on twenty or thirty of them coming across, we get seven hundred trucks a day through Piangle. Seven hundred trucks. When see when we were uh, coming from Brisbane 
down uh, south, the main trucks we saw were SRV, right, Kel? SRV trucks going across to Adelaide and back, Collins. Though I thought, yeah. I wondered how many trucks Collins must have. They must have hundreds because, um, yeah, you see a lot, a lot, a lot of trucks. Yeah, well, they, I mean, different places you would have passed through, you, people don't see anything because they look at the road instead of looking out the side of the, um, to see all those trees. Did you see all the grapevines that were here and, and olives as well across the Hay Plains? Uh, grapevines when you're coming through. Andrew Peace Winery is the main winery here in Tyangle. And um, the whole area is just 10% of all fruit and veggies produced in the Mallee for all of Australia. Wow. Trevor, you're, and, a, you're a mountain or fountain of information. <laughs> Well, I, I should have. And you live in Piangle, do you, or Tullybuck, or? I live in Piangle. I bought the school. I'm about to sell the school. We were going to build a uh, cabin and caravan park there, but oh. I'm now 65 and thought, well, I should start retiring and enjoy life. Yeah. So I'm just looking to buy a little farm property down the road here and, and uh, enjoy a bit of fishing and that sort of thing. All right. But um, yeah, Tullybuck has the clubs and all the rest and the pubs, and Piangle has the service station. Um, we have a free camping area here across the road from the school, uh, which all the caravaners that are now, a couple of kids over there at the moment in their swags and all the rest of the school holiday start. Oh, that's right, yeah, and they're starting soon, they? painted the toilet block here, <laughs> and the silo trails that are around the place. You would have seen the, the magnificent silo, um, and you spoke yeah. about... Uh, Patchy Wallop the other day, yes. uh, having the uh, festival, music festival. Oh, yes. We went into, we into Patchy Wallop um, just after they painted the silos. And the gentleman there bought the pub in Patchy Wallop and was going to only open on the Thursday and a Friday night for the locals. And the silo being painted at Patchy Wallop now is open seven days a week, serving lunch and tea. And they've opened a coffee shop and all the rest simply because go. of the silos. Yeah. Of the um, the silo yeah, trail. Good on yeah. you, Trevor. I've got to fly, mate. Nice to talk to you. Thank you. No worries. Thank- Have a great day. See you, mate. Bye. This is the All Over News. This is the All Over News, and I've been on the road. And in the little town of Hay in southern New South Wales you'll find the offices of the Riverine Grazier, the local newspaper, and as a part of that building, there's a little gallery of drawings and photographs. The people behind it, well, come and meet them. I'm talking to Margie and Chris McClellan. That's right, isn't it, Margie? Yes, yeah. indeed it is. Chris, <coughs> That's right. get, yes. g'day. Nice, nice to talk to you. Yeah. That's a gallery and you're part of the Riverine Grazier. That's uh, it. That's newspaper. our newspaper, yes. And, and I, I work there and I take a lot of photos mm. and try and sell some advertising. Tell me about yourselves. Chris, you're obviously an artist. Whole lots of lovely drawings and all over the place. Yes, I spent most of my years on the land, managing a sheep station here in Hay for 21 years out on the Lachlan River place called Tupra Station. The mighty Lachlan. The mighty, yes, the mighty Lachlan. We used to refer to it as a creek. 
You, you wouldn't say that after the last lot of rain, would you? I mean, everybody talks about the Darling and the Murray in Australia, don't they? And they forget about the Lachlan and the Lachlan, shall I say, reared its ugly head in the last flood? Well, it certainly it's has, definitely. and uh, certainly for the last two years it's been in flood, a flood situation. And actually flowing into the Murrumbidgee. See, the Lachlan doesn't normally flow into the Murrumbidgee. It goes out in the great Kambung Swamp and just disappears downwards. To fill our tanks, we used to run water from the Lachlan River. We'd pump it and pump it into channels. And we probably would have had at least 100 kilometres of channel and drain. And we were able to fill all our tanks whenever we wanted to, usually in the, in the cooler months, so it didn't get a lot of evaporation. Is this because the land's so flat? Because the land's so flat. We were looking for a a fall of six inches to the mile. (laughs) Four inches didn't quite run the water well enough, but six inches to the mile it did. Chris, what is one of the things you've noticed about the floods uh, along the Lachlan? What did you see at your place? Well, certainly because the water's been up for such a long time, the number of water rats built up are just incredible. Uh, I suppose there's a huge amount of food there in the way of yabbies and small fish. And you can go down to the river now and just see water rat after water rat. Probably in the 21 years that I was on the Lachlan, probably only saw a few in the river itself. They're a little native rat, aren't they? They're a native rat, yeah. they're How big do they grow? They grow much bigger than an ordinary rat, probably Mm. almost double the size. But uh, they've got a reddish tinge to the hair. And a white tip on the tail. Lovely thing. They're a lovely creature, yes. And they make burrows in the bank. Wonderful thing. Marvellous. Maggie, Maggie, sorry, what was that like living out on the Lachlan? It was interesting times because I was still uh, teaching my children correspondence. I taught my daughter for seven years by correspondence. But not only that, when you're on the land and you're a manager's wife, you've got to cook, you do the gardening, you've got to answer the telephone, you've got to look after jackaroos and do all of those things. So it's a multitasking job for a, a woman on the land out there. I'll bet, I'll bet. Tell me about correspondence school. I mean, it's the only, only way to go, I suppose. For, it has been the only way to go. Is it a better way to, to learn, do you think, when you look back at an education correspondence-wise? Well, I knew that it was a precious time for me to be with my kids because they would have to go away for education and it gave us time to be with them. But now they've got uh, School of the Year in Hay, so it would have been a lot easier. So it was a great time to have out with our children. Chris, when does the manager or how does the manager of a sheep station start drawing? When did, when did that start with you? Well, that started with me in 1994 and I went to Africa for the first time and I just fell in love with Africa and I came back and I started scribbling wildlife and uh, I was very fortunate that someone saw my work in Africa and they said, would you be interested in come over to Africa and draw my safari lodges? And Maggie said, yes. That, that was the travel that, bug, yeah. Yeah, that was the start of 15 trips to Africa. I've been drawing ever since. So I used to take Sunday off on the station instead of fiddling about with machinery and chasing sheep, things like that. I started drawing safari lodges for a fellow over there, which I did for about 10 years. That started my drawing. Then I retired in 2003, and since then I've been here in the gallery uh, drawing. But were you drawing as a kid or did this start later in life? I did draw as a kid. I had a very good teacher uh, at the prep school I went to and then I went away to boarding school and he was there also. And uh, so he he gave me a lot of encouragement. And In fact, he was my mentor. And then just after the war, modern art was coming in 
and realism was just going straight out the door and uh, I went with it. <laughs> so I, I lost interest. A lot of people lost, lost interest at that time. So, Margie, you're the other side. You take photos. I suppose so when you went to Africa, um, was that why you wanted to go to Africa or no, you just wanted no, to travel? No, not at all. No, because Chris's father spent 10 years over in South America and then he spent four years in southern Sudan at Juba. We saw the African Safari magazine and we decided, well, that's where we need to go. And I said, oh, well, I want to see the gorillas. <laughs> In the mist, yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah, so we went, we went there and saw the gorillas, and our daughter decided she would come with us. So we went to Africa in 94 not knowing that Chris was going to draw. But the funny thing is I knew in my soul that things were going to change because of this trip. Mm. And Chris started his passion again, which was drawing animals and, you know, having a bit of fun with animals. And I didn't know he was going to use my photos, but he started... So we went back in 96, because our son this time wanted to come with us. We went back as a family. I took over, did the fam... I've now got a box of animal parts boxes of animal parts and things like the elephants and things like that. So a, a drawing of an elephant could take about 10 photos because Chris wants to get that detail that mm. he's famous for. And he wants the animals to appear alive. They're not just standing there being nice. They, they're swishing their tails and moving their ears. And Yeah, so um, I overdid it then with my photos. It sounds to me for both like a... To come back to Hayes, a bit of a come down. Africa's this exciting place for little lions and tigers and elephants, and then you come back to Hay on the Hay Plain. It's a balance because we feel more natural out in the bush rather than in the city. And I just love being out there and just observing animals and watching them. And just because we, we came back from Africa about six weeks ago, seven weeks ago, and we took 10 people over with us, and we had the most magnificent time over there so animals all behaving themselves and and because people are nervous about going over there and this gives them a chance to travel and feel safe we don't really know a lot about africa do we? i mean i haven't been to africa and it's it's that other place isn't it i suppose yeah. very very much so the other place but it's just it is a fascinating it's got a magnetism like no other country on earth not only the animals the people the history so you do like coming back to Hay. Hay's, a, Hay's your home. Well, it's become our home, yeah. yes. And we've been here 40 years. We're not a local yet, but we've been here 40 years. And you enjoy the, the wide-open spaces here oh, in yes, the flat, yes. flat land? Absolutely, yeah. yes. Yes, I do. Mm. Even though we came from the Gleninus with the mountains and the hills and we were in the valley where we were living before, this has got a different charm. And you start to see, you can drive along the road, you're not driving and concentrating on that road. You look, you're glancing around, you might see kangaroos or whatever, but it's the shadows and the light and the country and the plants of the bush. Mm. And that gets you in. And the clouds, I'm always taking photos of clouds. And how's hay going? How's it doing? Going very well. And uh, things like the uh, cotton gin here have been a great help to hay. You'll see if the odd shop that's closed here, but I think it's doing much better than a lot of towns. A lot of travellers in uh, caravans now are coming through, mm. uh, and they're all bringing their dogs too. It's amazing how people <laughs> people now are travelling with him, with their pets. <laughs> of course, they ring me up some Sunday morning and say, oh, look, Mac, I know you don't do lost dogs, but um, our dog uh, jumped out of the caravan and... She hasn't come back, and so yes, I know that's right with their yeah, dogs. Yeah. Can you put out a call for Trixie or something? You know, yeah. <laughs> Margie and Chris, thanks for talking to us. Thank you, thank you. Ed.
Thank you, Ian. That's Margie and Chris. They're in the offices of the River in Grosier. If you're passing through, hey, and I know lots of people with their dogs are passing through country towns, so many caravans on the road, call in and have a look at the lovely drawings and say good day to Hay. When I meet people on the road, I'm always fascinated and interested in the things they do. Come and meet Glenn Ford. I'm talking to Glenn Ford. Glenn, you're from Wagga? I am from Wagga, indeed, mm-hmm. yes. And you're on the road at the moment, are you? Uh, yes, I've just been to visit very, two very old friends in Adelaide for 10 days. I go every year for 10 days and catch up with them. Uh, and that's a nice trip too. It is a nice trip. And yes, I went via Oyen in Victoria and then Pinaru and then up through the Adelaide Hills. That's a better trip, isn't it? It's le- less, less traffic that way. Better than the Sturt Highway mm. and less, less distance and time. Mm. Yeah, and more enjoyable. So you've always lived in Wagga? No, no, I'm a Sydney boy. Went to college in Wagga, 74 to 76. Then teaching for nine years in Broken Hill. Then back to Wagga, various schools and retired nine years ago. What did you teach? Uh, mainly primary, but the last 15 or 20 years, kindergarten, at a lovely school called South Wagga. Unusual for a bloke to be teaching kindergarten? Very unusual. Not allowed to be trained in that, but when I did my degree, I did all early childhood subjects. What do you mean not allowed to be trained? When I went through under the Whitlam era, I received a scholarship, and it had to be, as a male, it had to be for general primary. Only females could specialise. So I'm not formally trained, but I did do my degree in all early childhood subjects. So So how did you get into early childhood if you... Begged the principal to give me a chance. So And he did, and he let me stay there for 15 years. So... I can't have been too bad. Yeah. <laughs> no, and, and you found that rewarding, obviously. Very much. I would still be doing it, but nearing 70, it's time to leave and move on and do other things. So I did lots of volunteering and lots of walking. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> when I was at primary, I think we had female teachers up till second class, I think, and then yeah. fourth, fifth and sixth so class. I. So yeah. did I. Yeah. Um, I started in 1960, and it wasn't until fourth class, fifth class, that I had a male teacher. So all female, yeah. I think it's harder to attract males to uh, teaching these days, especially primary. Very much so, considering the current situation. A lot of people just aren't choosing to go into teaching. Now you go walking. I love walking. I walk in the morning for an hour, sometime during the day, and an evening for about an hour, hour and a half. And when did that start? I've always been a walker, but since I retired, I've had more time. So, <laughs> Is it good? you like that? I love it. Absolutely love it. Sometimes with other people, but mainly by myself. And sometimes my wife, but it's better if we don't. <laughs> I talked to somebody the other day about having a sauna, and they said it's very good for contemplation. I think walking's probably like that, it is it? certainly is. Even when I used to teach, I would walk there and then walk home. By the time you walked home for an hour, you've certainly forgotten about the troubles of the day, and you've relaxed and... All that sort of thing. And maybe solved some of the problems. I think so. I think so. (laughs) Glenn Ford, it's nice to meet you, mate. Thank you very much, Ian. Thank Thank you. you. Nice to meet you. You were at our Narendra. I did, and I loved it. My wife and I came over early on a Sunday morning and absolutely loved it. It was fantastic. Lovely morning in the park here. Beautiful park. It was, it is, and it still is a lovely park. Thanks, Glenn. Good on you. Thanks, Ian. That's Glenn Ford. Interesting fella. Wanted to be teaching kindergarten, so he pushed and pushed and finally got his wish. But he's a walker, and when I was talking to him, I thought of two great Australian walkers. One of them was Morrison of Peking, who walked from north, I think, to south uh, in Australia, just on his own, pottering along. And the other, of course, was Percy Granger, who always walked between his gigs. It says here about Granger. He embarked on his Australian concert tour in 1903. He was born in Melbourne, travelling through regional Victoria and Queensland. He'd often walk between concerts, setting off in his singlet and pair of running shorts, following roads where possible, but often venturing into remote bush country. 
tramping through the Scottish Highlands when he wrote this. It's just called Walking Tune. In 1924, Granger at last lives out his boyish dream and tramps through the South Australian desert. He hiked for three days, covering 80 miles from Talon Bend to Keith. Just went through Talon Bend. He carried a pack of 42 pounds, including dates and nuts and a fin of brown bread. He said in a letter, Under the bright moon and stars, deeply frosty, the express train roaring past nearby out of the utter silence, all unforgettable. Good morning. 1300 700 222. This has been the All Over News. I hope you enjoy the All Over News. I do. Oh, yes, the old Percy. It's a lovely tune. It's just called Walking Tune. Percy wrote it. And my mate, the late Dave Price, who used to play second uh, trumpet for the Sydney Symphony, said when he was at the con <clears throat> as a boy or a young man, Percy Grange would come in and he'd find him asleep under the piano. <laughs> he was a bit of a dude, the old Percy Granger. This is a lovely tune. It's called Walking Tune. And he was a great walker. Jack's in Alice Springs. Morning, Jack. Morning, Macca. How are you? Good, thank you. What's happening? It's a beautiful day here. Oh, lovely. Beautiful mornings in, in the Alice. Gets a bit hot later for some of us, but... Oh, a little bit later. <laughs> mornings are lovely. What's uh, on your mind, Jack? On my mind is water. On on everybody's minds, water. Yeah, continue. You are drinking. You are drinking water for all the people, Macca. Mm. To uh, the government's told that they need to spend two point four billion dollars on making sure that everyone's got pure drinking water in all the outstations, all the small communities. Yep. The the major councils and water people, um, they're responsible for. Providing water to Yundamu and Laramba, they're spending five million here and there. But all of the little outstations, all of the communities, are drinking bore water, which hasn't been uh, produced for human consumption. It's no. been for animal consumption, and so it's full of PFAS and it's full of uh, of uh, stuff. sodium, all sorts of stuff. Fat. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, we've got a system here that we've been working through with uh, a lot of the the, the traditional owners, and and um, it's a system to to provide pure drinking water to all the outstations affordably. Um, it's called F Cubed is the, the the company that does it, but they're our partners. As an Aboriginal organisation, and we're working on making this work. There's in just in the Northern Territory alone, there's 2,400 uh, communities of you know five houses, ten houses, mm. um, with not great the, not great got, access to clean drinking water. They haven't got pure drinking water. And the government keeps saying, oh, they look and they talk and they do this and nothing. I think they've got other things on their mind, Jack. But the other, the thing that I've been thinking about, because we're bringing... See, last time there was a big drought in Australia, uh, which was, what, two, three, four years ago. We all remember, yeah. remember it. And, of course. And, and, for, and forever. 
And over the last 20 years in Australia, we've been talking about water and then they put in uh, desal plants in, I think there's one in, in, uh, there's one in Sydney and there was one in Melbourne because there's not enough drinking water for the people who are here. And yet we want to bring in, apparently, we want to bring in millions and millions of more people into Australia when, as you say, people out Alice Springs and beyond haven't got clean water, but nobody will have it. I mean, the more people, there's only apparently, I did a bit of science, it's, apparently there's only a limited amount of water in the world. So that's it. There's a, only enough. And the more people you have, the more they all want water. And so there's a problem there for a start, Jack. So, um, <laughs> I, I Okay. You're talking a world situation there as opposed to uh, a drinking water situation where people um, – in the cities, Sydney, Melbourne, everywhere have got pure drinking water. We're talking about pure drinking water, yeah? Mm, yeah. Not a building of water. And, uh, yeah, so, but it's a big problem for everything. we got number one, uh, it's a country of dr- driving rains and droughts. Yep. And, uh, but, well, look, Jack, keep working at it. That's all I can say. But uh, clean water and drinking water for everybody around the world, and yours is the microcosm of that, and it brings to light the whole the, the problem of the yeah. world. The more people, everybody everywhere, you know, but wherever they are. How come that microcosm is the Aboriginal people of Central Australia, But I, Yeah, sure. And I think, it's a, I think what you and, say is... And it, so, yeah. All right, Jack. Great to talk to you, and I hope uh, I hope something happens to make sure that everybody um, out there pure drinking gets, water. Gets pure drinking water. Okay. Good on you, Jack. Have a beautiful day. Cheers. Nice to talk to you, mate. Kuchamapa Kuchamora. Okay. What is That's that? really good water for everybody. What? Say it again. Kuchamapa Kuchamorandor. All right. <laughs> Good, good Kuchamapa is people, Aboriginal people, yeah. and Kwaja is water, yeah. and Morandor is really good water. <laughs> really good water, Morandor. Yeah, yeah. Good on you, Jack. Who's that in the background? That's uh, Mali. Mali, say hello to Maka in Australia on radio. Yeah. Oh. Hi, Mali. Good on you. I've got to fly, Jack, but nice to talk to you. Nice to talk to you, Mali. Thank you. Yeah, g'day, Maka. How are you? Good, thank you. Um, long-time listener, first-time caller, actually, so yeah, it's a bit of a treat. Um, I So many little things that, that you've talked about this morning have all sort of intersected and, and prompted me to call in, and one of them is um, the hay plane, of course, um, mm. which, is, which has been a big part of my life the last few years. Uh, so about 10 years ago, I joined the Air Force uh, as an as a older man, and I met, um, on my very first course up in Glenbrook, I met... Um, a beautiful young woman who was uh, also on that course. She was posted in Wagga, I was posted in Adelaide. And uh, over the, co- the the sort of six-week course, our love blossomed. And we had to part ways at, at down in, in the Hay Plain there. There was a T intersection where I went right to Adelaide and she went left to Wagga. And there was there was some tears and, and some, you know, some, we'll oversee you again. So while I was based in Adelaide, I would, we'd do what we call the passion run. So I would jump on my big BMW motorcycle, um, and as soon as work was over, I'd tear run. across to Adelaide uh, from Adelaide to Wagga to see uh, my beloved. 
And um, it was, yeah, there were some times where it probably exceeded the speed limit a little bit, but uh, it, was a, it was always a really fascinating uh, ride. And then we got to the point where she, she, meet, she would meet me halfway, so we'd meet in Bal Ranald, which was uh, uh, just a little tiny little place there, had an RSL with a, ch- a Chinese takeaway in it and a, a little caravan park. And they've got a discovery so centre. They've got they've got a discovery <laughs> centre now, which is quite nice. Anyway, go on. Um, yeah. Anyway, so then the Hay Plain, you know, riding along the Hay Plain on a motorcycle, I don't think you can, you know, really experience the country. Uh, as much as as you can when you when you're on a motorcycle, you're really in touch with everything, in touch with feeling, um, you know, the the movement of the motorcycle and the change of the wind and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, um, it's just it's amazing. And uh, so we eventually got posted to Wagga, and you had you had uh, your, your man there before from Wagga. Um, we we just fell in love with Wagga. It was I, I was posted there for four years. Uh, my wife was there for six, and we can't wait to get back. We're in Canberra at the moment. Um, but, you know, just going back into Wagga, it always feels like home. Even though I'm from Brisbane, she's from Bendigo, Wagga just is home to us. You know, the crow, every time we go there, you walk in and the same people are there and they're always happy to see you. And, you know, just up and down the streets of Wagga and, and, and seeing the way it's changed and grown and become a real, you know, proper city. It's a real great place. Um, and it's just, yeah, you know, you're in Quinty. We used to ride our bikes out to you're in Quinty to the bakery there and, um, all the old Air Force training facilities, of course, in, in uh, New South Wales yeah. uh, that, that are now closed, that were all part of the, uh, the training scheme back in the day to, to generate the pilots. And it's just, yeah, all these little stories that people keep coming up with on your show, and it just really, really spoke to me this morning. So thank you very much. <laughs> it's a uh, pleasure, John. You so you're, you're still in the Air Force? Yeah, yeah, we're both still in the Air Force. Um, I'm at the uh, uh, I'm at ADFA at the moment, as as uh, in charge of one of the squadrons there, and my wife is working for. Um, where where at? Say office. that again. You're at at ADFA. ADFA. Uh, All right. Australian Defence Force Academy. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Yep. So uh, yeah. Well, and there's a there's an air show on today at uh, where is it, Kelly? You're in Quinty, I think it's you're in Quinty. There's an Turk Turkenwall at Toke. There's an air show on there at Toke. Um, today, and uh, I went through Wagga the other day, and uh, is that Forest Hills? Is that where the uh, Forest Hills, where the, the RAF base is? Yep, the RAF base in 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 Wagga, and Wagga's a big town, isn't it too? Yeah, it's it's it started to really sprawl out a little bit more. Um, the the we we sort of lived over on the northern side of of the the main uh, the main part of town there in in Wiradjuri. And um, it was just lovely. It was so great. That little north, northern part of Wagga is just so – it's just – it's got everything you need, you know. And then <laughs> over on the, on the other side, you know, up on Red Hill and that, they've built a lot of, uh, a lot of new housing and, a, and a, uh, a lot of new suburbs, and it's really expanded and really, really grown. But uh, it's still – you know, I remember when I, I started in the Army back in 1989, I went to, to Kapuka and I swore I'd never go back to Wagga. <laughs> <laughs> and now, now I love the place. Now it's, you're in uh, love with Wagga. Oh yeah. yeah, I am in love with Wagga. Yeah. <laughs> so you don't have to do the passion, the passion run anymore. That's a great. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, it was. I tell you, it was, it was a hell of a ride. You know, riding it all that way on a Friday night. Um, oh, Friday not at night time. God, you rode at no, night. No, just on dusk. Just oh, on dear, dusk. Oh, yeah. dear. God. I had big, big spotlights on the bike though, so that made it a little bit easier. <laughs> but, uh, so you can see the yeah. kangaroos you're going to hit. Yeah. Yeah, and then it was always terrible leaving going back, you know. But um, 
and you know, like you break up your trips, like um, Renmark was a was was a key place in Mildura, and you know things like that to sort of give yourself little milestones on your trip. Oh, Johnny, but, uh, good on you, mate. Great All right, thanks, mate. Uh, it's a pleasure. I'll see you in Wagga sometime or somewhere. Roger that. You sure will. Good on you, mate. Bye. Yeah. Wayne's in Townsville. Morning, Wayne. Good morning, uh, Baker. It's uh, Wayne Wellerman, and it's a uh, long-time listener. Uh, this is my second time actually chatting with um, you, so thanks for uh, taking my call. That's all right. Our last time we chatted, um, that will be during COVID when I was uh, back in PNG. Uh, uh, that's where I'm from, uh-huh. working for the Civil Asian Authority. And um, I'm here in Townsville now. Uh, for work, I work for a regional airline, uh, Skytrans, uh, which is owned by Peter Collins and Jonathan Thurston. Now, All right. Yeah, just yesterday was 48 Pap- years of independence. Papua New Guinea Independence Day, 16th. <laughs> yeah, it was. Nine, yeah. <laughs> nine, nine, nine seventy-five. Correct, correct, which makes me 48 years old today. Um, uh, I, I was born uh, during the independence. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, so this morning, just listening to you, and um, I thought of that conversation we had, and I was just wondering, did you actually make the trip up to Western Province for some uh, bar of fishing? No, of course not. Of course not. I never go. <laughs> I just sit here, people say, yeah, Mackie, you say you're going to go everywhere, and you never go, you never go. <laughs> well, That's all right. It's too, it's too hard, mate. It's too hard. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> but, and if, and if I went somewhere to Western Province, I'd need to take someone like you with me, Wayne. I'm not going on my own. I'd... No, I well, now that I'm here in Townsville, and um, I think you you were planning to use uh, McDermott Aviation out of uh, Chance. Right. So if you ever do it, and Skytrans operates, uh, that's our main base up in Cairns, and I will probably most likely do some of the work up there. And if you are, I'll be listening out, and... Um, I'll get in touch with you again. So if you do actually make the trip, I'll I'll come along with you and um, yeah, see the place. So uh, you get but, you you travel to and from Townsville and PNG all the time, do you, Wayne? Or no, I've just recently moved here about four months ago, uh, and so now I'm permanently based here in Townsville, uh, working for Skytrains, and we have about four bases uh, between Cairns and Brisbane, Townsville, and Rocky as well. So. Uh, most of our work's up in, uh, of course, in Cairns. Yeah. Um, so that gives me the opportunity to, is it to hop across um, up north and, and back to work? So yeah. Well, so, that's um, uh, forty-eight years of independence, and that, that was after nearly seventy years, I think, of government by Australia. Or... Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, nineteen oh six to nineteen seventy-five. I think Australia uh, took the the southern part, Papua, from um, the British, uh, yeah, at the time, the northern part was uh, governed by the Germans. And uh, so that would have been just, I think, during the war, World War II. Yeah. Um, so Papua was a, was a territory of um, Australia at the time. And um, the first prime minister, uh, well, he's passed away now, Sir Michael Tamari, uh, was a young man then. And and um, so God Whitlam was there, and uh, with um, the young Prince Charles, so he's now King Charles. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Tom, Tom Charles, you got a lovely laugh, Wayne. Uh, but yeah, and and a very um, yeah, it's a bit um, in some quarters, 
very uh, controversial, uh, wasn't it, the independence? Look, uh, Mecca, for me, you know, I, you know, most of my teenage years and probably the best part of my young life is, you know, uh, going to school in Australia and uh, Coffs Harbour, New South Wales, that's where I spent six years and that's really made me who I am, the person that I am and the way I am today. And um, uh, I thank God for Australia and I, I uh, and for the people here and uh, what they've given us. And um, I, I personally believe myself that that we took independence way too early and and maybe there were some other reasons for it politically or um, yeah. just what was going on back then. You can never understand you. You need people that know the history well of what had transpired back then mm. to get it where it is. But look, we as a country, we took one step forward and we took 10 steps backwards as far as I'm concerned. Mm. And and it's a shame because I don't know we'll ever recover and I don't I, I don't see, a, you know, how it's going to be. And and it's it's a sad, sad situation. I gave altogether I've spent in aviation about almost 29 years. Well, it'd be going to 29 years in about six months time. But and um, it's a sad sort of situation to see how it's been up there as I work through uh, aviation and now coming here to Australia. And it's uh, such a, you know, there's no comparison. It's, um, you know, day and night to yeah. what it is. Uh, such a rich country is, is blessed in so many ways. And um, yet it's in a, a situation. Um, there it is. Um, Wayne, I'll see you in Townsville sometime. I've got your number. I'd love to catch up with you, mate. Definitely. Thanks, Mecca. All right. Give me a call with you. All right. See you, mate. Bye. That's Gil in Mansfield, is it, Gil? Hey, Macca, how are you? What a great program this morning. I feel as if I've been all over Australia with so many stories. It's great. Well, I'll tell you, Gil, the, the phones have gone nuts. I think our ratings are really going to go through the roof. Uh, I think poor Lee, she's been so busy on the phone this morning. I know. Morning. <laughs> well, you you try and answer 12. Mostly I'm in here talking, but when I, there's a, some music on or something or I've got a taped interview, I try to answer the calls. But there's 12 just constantly just going, going, going. And when you're talking to one, there's another 11 waiting there. Um, or if <laughs> I've there's... been one of them. <laughs> <laughs> What's the story, Gil? What are you up but to? That's okay because I've heard all the great stories. Um, I'm calling from Mansfield. I'm... Um, I run a couple of businesses down here, but I'm also part of the um, Arts Mansfield, uh, which is kind of represents a whole lot of artists in in Mansfield. And we we have a ceramic award and exhibition, um, which is um, I guess is a legacy of Clytie Pate, who was a wonderful female potter or ceramicist um, in the 1930s, and she practiced professionally for over 40 years. And so she really um, <clears throat> was cut, you know, you know, really um, cutting edge for women in that in that area, and her godson uh, is one of our amazing people who lives in Mansfield, and he has, uh, and we, um, he has donated a ten thousand dollar prize for um, the Clytie Pate Exhibition and, and Ceramic Award, which is now in its third biennial year, and the exhibition's on now. So I just thought I should let people know they can come along for the next two weeks and have a look at the 
amazing 37 finalists from all oh. over Australia and New Zealand. It's extraordinary. Oh, ceramics. Oh, I've just fallen in love with the Greeks, actually. Um, oh, look at the, the Greek, uh, Grecian urns, and we've, uh, Lee just picked up a book in, uh, uh, where was it, Kel, in um, your, Almara? I picked up a book about Greece, and it's full of these vases and all this ceramic work, and it's just beautiful, isn't it? Just... And, and it's enduring. It's the thing that we find when we dig up, you know, um, when we, we, we go on archaeological digs, we find these extraordinary ceramics. And it's amazing. So this um this exhibition is really, oh. really, really extraordinary. And I'll send you a catalogue because the catalogue also is really beautiful. And Gil, uh, and you you guys can have a look. Gil, what are you doing at the moment, right now? What are you doing? Oh, well, I still have my apron on, unlike Adrian. And I, my two IC has got a rack full of dockets for breakfast in our cafe. So um yeah, we run a cafe and a hotel here. And uh, so we we lined up with people enjoying the sunshine and and having breakfast at the moment. So. I'm about to jump back into the kitchen, yeah. and I've been doing that for 40 years. So, <laughs> and Adrian's about to hang up. Well, he's just hung up his apron. It's tough. It's tough being a cook, isn't it? I mean, I just you you see people working in cafes and short order cooks and long order cooks, whatever. It's a lot of work. It, it is, but I really, I mean, I really love cooking. So, and uh, and and all our amazing customers, and we have regular people who come by at Sea Second Lounge Room, and so it's pretty special. So, Pretty special community as well. So when's this exhibition start and finish? It started on Friday and it's on for two weeks until the 30th of September. Oh, I'd love to say, but well, I'm forbidden for saying I'd love, I'm going to see it. But a lot, <laughs> a lot of people will. Good on you, Gil. It's great to talk to you. The glad Thanks you're, so much, Glad Becca. you're enjoying the program. <laughs> Thank you so much. No, it's, it's, it's an indulgence, indulgence for me on a Sunday morning. <laughs> me too. See ya. <laughs> Thank you. See ya. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.